All right, guys, welcome back to the Allen Peter Fitness Podcast. Today on the show, I have Marcellus Williams, again, Team Craftsmanship on the podcast. Uh, Marcellus is one of the uh, most highly soccer coaches in the USAPL, um, coaches elite athletes such as Brandon Petrie, Ashton Ruska, Bob, Bob Matthews, um, and Marcellus is not too shabby himself. He's also quite strong, closing on that 500 dots. Um, Marcellus, actually, uh, let's know a little bit about uh, how like, your, your training is going, like what your current goals are um, and whatnot. I always, I think it's always interesting seeing, uh, you know, how things are going for, for the for the guests. Yeah, man, uh, training's been going great. Um, so right now, my my coach and I are kind of on the fence on if we're going to just walk into Carolina primetime just as like a very late 82, or we're going to go ahead and just cut to uh, 75 kg because I, I literally am like, the heaviest and walk around lately has been like 170 because we didn't want to be much heavier than that since my next meet is Carolina primetime, which is June 3rd, and it's based off dots. So we're not letting myself we're not letting myself get too heavy. But I've been on some days chilling around like 168, 167, uh, especially after this past weekend, not eating as much as I probably should have been um at the Arnold. So I was like 167 this morning. Um, but despite the weight fluctuations, training has been great. I always tell people that 2021 was probably my best year of training. So they're like PR every block for the whole year. And this is the strongest I've ever felt, even compared to then. So things are great. Uh, deadlift feels amazing. Bench feels good. Squat feels good. I had a little hiccup last block with like just like a little, um, what felt like a very drastic shoulder injury in the moment, but then was fine a couple of days after that. But other than that, training's been great. Um, as you kind of mentioned, I'm trying to zone in on that 500 dots. My goal coming into uh, Carolina primetime is to secure 500 dots by my second pool. And then I want to hit a 515 plus dots with my third pull, because if I hit a 515 plus dots, I'll be Johnny Candido's best dots, in which case he has to come back to the platform. That is the deal he and I have. So, Well, I definitely rooting, rooting for, for, for you there. Um, I definitely did, did notice like last year it was um, like just really like it seemed, it seemed like out of nowhere progress. You know, it's like um, kind of just, just chit chipping away for, for a long time. And then you kind of just like come on, you know, some different things that maybe have help you um, like, or sometimes it's not even that sometimes it's just as like, you just keep chipping away. And then all of a sudden you had that spurt of progress. Um, was there like, was there anything that you were doing with like your diet, um, your recovery variables or with your actual training that you think helped out? Or was it just uh, chipping away and being consistent? I think it's the fact that um, I've been working with my coach Brad Cooliar since 2019. And I think just, you know, like I said, we had a lot of good progress in 2021 for sure, but we're still kind of refining different things in terms of what works best for me programming wise, what works best for me technique wise. I think really this past year going into this year, it's just the fact that we know what works for everything. Like I feel technically locked in on all three lifts. Like I know how to set up well for the dead with my leverages. I know how to set up well for the squat and the bench press. Uh, we know what I respond to programming wise with everything across the board um, in terms of the frequency, the volume, which accessories I need to push, which accessories I got to pull back on. Um, and then I think just also getting adjusted to life because um, the, the start of last year, um, my daughter was born. So the first half of 2022 was a lot of adjusting to, you know, being a dad, um, getting my sleep and eating back consistent while having a child, especially when she was a newborn and waking up throughout the night and stuff like that as well as um, just getting used to the client workload that I had at the time, because I tend to expand the clientele by a few at the start of each year, depending on like how things are looking. Um, so I think the first half of the year was kind of just really adjusting to that. We were able to pull it together nicely for nationals. And then from that point onward, the second half of the year is like, okay, cool. I know what to do. I'm in the groove. So 
I think that's the biggest thing is a lot of the progress I made before. I made progress while experimenting with stuff. But now it's like, no, we know what works. We repeat it. We replicate it. We keep doing it. And we just can keep stacking the sessions and keep stacking the blocks together like that. So, um, and then also I think just mentally, I think that's been the biggest shift is mentally because obviously I've been having a lot of success with a lot of my clients across the board, you know, from, from the high level clients, like, you know, Ashton and Bob, uh, Petri, but then also just my clientele across the board. And it's this thing, whereas I've been traveling more and been handling more every time seeing my clients kill it and push it, it just puts me in a different zone of like, okay, I got to do the same thing. Like I have to leave from the front. I'm not getting left behind by my clients. I don't want to be one of these coaches where, you know, I coach really well, but I can't compete well myself. So I think just that mental shift has been the biggest thing more, more than anything else. Um, I'm I'm hungry to be the best lifter I can be. Like I know I'm capable of 500 dots. I know I'm capable of a 700 kg plus total at like, you know, as a, as a 75 kg or a very light eight, two and a half. And I just want to prove that to myself because for me, I, it's, it's, it's a very subjective type of goal, right? Like it's something that really never that matters on paper, but I guess I want to kind of be like, I am the most, I want to be like the most competitive high level coach. Uh, meaning you'll find coaches who are as, you know, high level coaches as I am, but maybe they aren't as competitive as I am lifting wise, or you might find people where they're more competitive than me, but they're not coaching at quite the level that I am. That's kind of a goal that I have just for myself to kind of show that you can do both without shortchanging one over the other, essentially. Yeah. I, I, and I, you know, what, that's one of the things I've, I found impressive about you too, because um, when you, there's, um, there definitely is a lot of energy that you have to give to your, your, your clients um, and emotional energy, and especially with like your, your training. And sometimes that, you know, that can impact um, how your training goes, especially, you know, if a client is not doing very well, or, um, you know, you had a, just a very stressful day of check-ins or week of, of work, and then you kind of have to come into the gym and still take care of business. And that's why a lot of times, like, so like with my, my coaching um, culture is like, we, we say, do your job. And what that means is you'll know, going in doing your best, you know, when you go in into the gym, it doesn't matter what happened outside of the gym, you need to focus on your process and having fun, first and foremost, because I think that one of um, my biggest mental shifts personally, and has just been like, I think it's important to take this stuff seriously. But if it's doing, yeah. you're doing so much where it's just like, it's not fun anymore, where it's just point. like, you're just stressing out. There's absolutely no point. Um, yeah. And yeah. that's been yeah. something I think is so important. And like with my, my clients too, like, I'm sure you also, Patterson, like, I think enjoying your program is just so important. Um, if you don't like your program, you're just not going to try very hard. You're going to, you're going to burn out. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I tell people all the time, if, if you have two programs in front of you and one will, like, let's say one is like, if it's like a scale, like, oh, it's 98% optimal. And then the other one's 90% optimal. But the one that's 90% optimal you enjoy, go with that. Because you will make so much more progress because you will put your all into it. And that's going to far outweigh the little few percentages you get from the other program being more optimal. So absolutely. Obviously, the program has to be effective. It has to make sense of work. Totally. But if you can find what, what's fun, then that's always going to be better for sure. Yeah, you know, um, like Mike, Mike this year is like, you know, it's, it's mostly for powerlifters where we're so easy to please. You know, Scott mentioned deadlift over and over again. As long as you are making yeah. progress and you don't feel like beat up all the time, um, that's what that's definitely what tends to be, um, you know, the most fun thing. Uh, I like how you said that. You know, really, just coming down for you too, working with the same coach for a extended period of time really has been helpful for you because I think there's like for myself personally, you know, I've worked with Eric Bodhorn for two years now, and yeah. 
it's just been like there's there's this trust you you understand like you know he, he's my guy we understand sort of like what i'm responding to especially like the whole mental like how how you respond to training and stressors um and how you move um and just giving you some advice there um like for example with me it's like my single deadlift's weird like i go into a conventional stance because my quads are small and weak comparatively to my to my, my back and so you know obviously being focused on you know pushing off the floor, but having Eric say, Hey, you know, we, we got to focus on just pushing your, your, your accessories and, and, and gaining weight over time to really maximize that, um, is really, really, really helpful. I'm assuming that with most of your, your clients, like, I think in our last podcast, you said like, you know, I've had some clients with yourself for like what, five, six years. Yeah. 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 So it's been crazy. With like, with like those clients, as opposed to like your more new ones. It's just, it's just, uh, well, I'll say it depends because at this point I can be pretty selective with any new clients I take on. So a lot of them uh, that I choose are people where they're already, I already know they're going to give me like the, the communication, the work ethic, everything that I need. But I think it's just, a, it's kind of like anything else, right? Like even like a friendship, right? If you, uh, if you've been friends with someone for years, right? You know what they're like, you know how they are. You can tell when their mood is a certain way. You can make certain jokes with them. And, and like, it's like, you can say something and they know what you mean by it, right? Even if you want to elaborate on it because you have that friendship, I think it's the same thing with coaching where it's like the longer you've been working with somebody you like, even it's not that suddenly like issues don't arise anymore, but you kind of almost instantly know what to do. Oh, we're feeling this. Okay. Here's what we do. Oh, you're dealing with this life circumstances. Hey, here's what we do. Oh, Hey, you know what? I can tell his, his moves kind of shifted. Let me check on him see what's going on. Um, because you just, you're, you're on the same page and like, you know, where they're coming from. They know where you're coming from. Whereas with a newer client, even if they have the, the best of intentions, you have the best of intentions for them. If they're a hard worker, they're good at communication. You still have to take the time to learn their body. You still have to take the time to learn what they respond to programming wise, how to cue them technique wise. Um, if cueing them is what you need to do at all, right? Maybe they need to have certain movement constraints with certain variations. It's, it's just, um, the work doesn't so much change. Um, but it's like, like I said, for myself at this point, right? I like Brad and I figured out what works for me. So if something's going on, we know what to look at and what to shift and change. So it's the same thing with my clients. If something's going on, we there's we don't have to figure out, oh, well, why is this happening? We almost can almost absolutely nail it immediately with what's going on and know what to change and adjust. Whereas with newer clients, you just need more time to do that. Um, obviously, as you get more experience as a coach, it's easier to do that. Like, for example, if I get a new client now who's dealing with a problem, I can figure out a lot faster than what I could figure out with a new client, say, two or three years ago. Um, but it's still never going to be quite as smooth or as easy as when you have a client you've been working with for years and you kind of know what their lifestyle, their variables, their training structure, you know what all that's like. So I'd say that's the biggest difference. It's just like anything else. The, 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 the longer you do something, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So the longer you work with someone, just the easier it is. Yeah, totally. That's what I definitely know with my clients. You more so know, oh, they're feeling this thing. Well, then we need to do xyz like one of my my clients felt he's very very strong and uh it's just like he, he he deals with like some pretty severe back pain every now and then and so like now what we do is like because well he doesn't need that, need that much volume if that happens we just lower down like a set of like squat or deadlift and then just put in like some other less fatiguing thing and that allows them to like make progress because a little bit of a deload and prevents those injuries from happening um so i wanted to um you just got back from, from the Arnold, uh, which is the Crow Series finale. Um, and that's obviously a very, very high-level meet. And you've had several experiences not only handling at meets, but also competing at meets yourself. And so a lot of the, my listeners on this podcast are more sort of beginner, intermediate-level powerlifters. Some of them are, are, a little bit, are a little bit more advanced. Um, but a question that I commonly get asked is, um, 
how do I set myself up for a good meet day experience? Um, and you, I think, are somebody who knows a little more about this than me because you've just done this so much more often. So in your experience, like if you were to say, like, what are the main variables that people should look to control that are within their control and what things do they need to sort of like know, like respond to in order to not lose their minds, have a successful meet day and have fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so of course we already know the basics, right? Like going, like uh, hopefully before you even get to the meet, you have things like your sleep dialed in your nutrition, uh, things of that nature. If you have to cut, know how already have a plan and know how you're going to cut. I like if my clients have to like water cut or gut cut, they already know like a few weeks in advance, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's the weight I need you to be at by the week going into it. So that way it's a smooth, easy process, right? It's not this thing where the week of you're asking your client, hey, how much do you weigh? And it's like, oh, 12 pounds over. What do we do? You know what I mean? So of course, being dialed into those things. Um, so I'll kind of I'll kind of break it down the part. So the first thing I'll say is, of course, the week going into the meet. Um, you want to try to have your stress as low as possible. Now, obviously, there's only certain parts of that we can control, right? Like if you have to work, you have to work. If you have kids, you have kids. You can't really do much about that. But I tell people it's already going to be a, a probably a relatively low stress week physically as far as training if you're tapering off. So, but what I found gets a lot of clients is mentally they're just stressing it. They're just thinking about the meat so much. So I actually try to tell people there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong with the meat, but Try to find things you do that relax you. If you like watching a certain show, watch a show. If you like reading a certain book, read a book. Go out, hang out with friends, things like that. Um, nothing's going to be detrimental to your meat performance, right? Like don't go out and drink or anything like that. But um, just kind of doing things to kind of keep your mind off of the meat. So that way you're not expending so much mental energy on it before you're even on the platform. Because some people kind of psych themselves out before they even get there. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. Uh, the second thing I would say is if it is a meet where you are having to travel, try to get there a couple of days before if possible. Um, just because of what I found with a lot of people is if they travel like the day before they compete, okay, you spend half that day at the airport on a plane, whatever you get off, you probably get to rush, get to the grocery store, do whatever you need to do. Right. So if you get there a couple of days before that first day, you may get in, you travel, you can get your groceries, get sell into your hotel, your Airbnb, whatever you need to. But in the day before you can just chill, you can just relax. Um, and I think that's a very simple thing to do, just kind of pre-meet. And then of course, as far as meet day, the first thing is like, have a plan, right? Um, it, it actually is mind blowing to me how, how many people still go into a meet where they don't even know what they're planning to hit for the day. They, they, they know their openers. And then for, after that, it's like, well, just see what's there. It's like, have a plan, know what the range is for your thirds, know what the range is for your second, know what your openers are, know what your warms look like. So that way you already know, okay, this is what we're doing warm up wise. This is what the plan is attempt wise. And that way you already know based upon what the flight breakdown looks like and how many people in the flight before you went to start your warmups, right? Um, Cause that's a huge stress off as well. If you already know, okay, there's 10 people in the flight before me. So about, you know, let's say 10 minutes for go through for like for each, for to get the first attempt, second, thirds, you know how much time you have to time your warmups. Um, and that's just a huge stressor off. If you already know how you're going to warm up, everything like that. And like I said, having the game plan is important. So that way, if your warm don't feel the way you want, cool. We have a range for our openers. If your over doesn't feel as good as what you thought, well, cool. I already know what to take for my second because I'm going to go with the lower end. So having that game plan is huge. Um, and of course, having a high quality handler. So even for someone where you don't have a coach, um, getting someone that can handle you to where they can be the one that's looking at the screen. They can go and tell you like when to warm up and stuff like that. So that way you can just focus on just the lifting. Um, it's very, very difficult if you either don't have a handler or if you don't trust your handler. Uh, Cause even I've been in that situation years ago where it's like, I'm, I'm such an analytical thinker where if I don't, if I have someone random handler, and I don't trust my handler. I'm going to be looking at the screen. I'm going to be checking the numbers, double checking everything. When really I need to just be focused on lifting. Right. Um, so having a handler is, is going to be huge. Um, and then of course, I think a big part of it too, 
is expect there to be some bumps in the road. Don't expect the day to go perfectly, meaning expect that you might have to start later than what you thought you would. Like the, your start time might get pushed back. Uh, expect that some people might not show up for your flight. So your flight might be shorter than what you thought, right? If you kind of um, are mentally prepared for all of these things, then it won't, it won't shake you as much when it happens, right? It's like, okay, hey, here's my plan for if everything's normal. But hey, I have contingencies just in case, like something as simple as your warmth, right? If you're so, if you did your warmth based upon, okay, hey, there's ten people in the flight before me, cool. But have some adjustments. Be like, hey, here's a shorter warm up scheme just in case something happens where we don't have as much time, right? That way, you're not having to freak out and figure out what to do last minute. So having contingencies, I think, is really important as far as that. Um, and then when it comes to the actual uh, meet day of like execution, it's like no, if if you practice how you play, you should be good. So I always tell people like your heaviest days of your blocks, you should try to have those as similar to meets as possible as far as like even the music you listen to. You know what I mean? Don't try to do things drastically different on meet day than what you do in competition. Like if you know you're a calm lifter, you usually lift very calmly, like even with your heaviest stuff in training, don't try to suddenly hype yourself up excessively on meet day. You're not going to know what to do with that. You're going to probably miss a cue, miss a command, something like that. Um, if you are somebody where you usually like listen to music and hype yourself up, do that. If you're somebody where you don't usually listen to music at all before your lifts, don't suddenly do that on meet day. Like be very consistent with how you train because at the end of the day, I tell people your meet day is a training day without back downs. Like that's that's a good way of looking at it. Um, and then in terms of the attempts, it's just knowing that you have three lifts to get through. And that's probably the most important thing because squats set the tone for sure. And that's why I tell people, if nothing else, really try to go three for three on squats because that will just put you in a good head space for the rest of the day. But just know that even if you don't, you still have bench, you still have deadlifts. It's very easy for squats to not go the way somebody wants. And then suddenly they've defeated themselves before the day's even done. It's like, oh, I, I missed my third attempt. Like, oh, it's over. There's no points. Like, no, you still have bench. You still have deadlifts. You don't know how things are going to show up yet. You might be able to bench more than what you thought. You might be able to pull more than what you thought. Or maybe you don't. But either way, you can't defeat yourself until the meet's actually done. Um, and just remembering that, like, there's other meets, right? Like, yes, enjoy and focus on what you have planned for that meet. But just remember that, hey, this one meet is not the end all be all of anything. Like unless you plan on making like your retirement meet or something like that, it's like just know, hey, this is another step to being the best lifter I can be anyway. So don't put unnecessary pressure on yourself. There's already going to be pressure anyway. When you get on that platform and you see the judges and there's people like, you know, rooting for each other for you, whatever, the nerves are going to be there. There's going to be pressure and that's okay. And if you're someone like me where you like to thrive with that or you like to use that to your advantage, cool. But if you know where that kind of gets to you, just don't make it worse on yourself by making the meet be a bigger deal than what it is. And, I, and I'm trying to be very care careful in my worry of that. The meat matters. You're putting all this work, month, weeks and months for this one day. It matters, but don't make it deeper than what it is. At the end of the day, we're lifting weights. You know what I mean? Um, and I think there is such thing as getting so emotionally invested in what's going on to where if the meat, like if the meat doesn't go the way you want, people are like, oh, it's just devastated for weeks after. I don't think it should be like that. Um, like you know, my my client Brandon Petrie, he he bombed out on squats this past weekend. Like all the time and work that we put in, and you know that's what happened. And it sucked and we weren't happy about it. And, you know, we had to have our talks and let ourselves feel what we feel. But guess what? He's already back to work. So, like, hey, on to the next one. And there was a time where that wouldn't be the case. There was a time where this would be eating at him for weeks. But he's grown a lot in that. And that's why. I'm, and part of it is realizing that, hey, yes, I care about this. I'm passionate about this. This matters. But there's more things in my life going on outside of just this. So I can't validate myself just through how I perform at a powerlifting meet, right? Um so I feel like that mindset helps a lot because it like 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 you said, you got to have fun with it. That's the big thing. Have fun. Like, don't be so nervous and take it so seriously to where you're just like, oh, my God, I'm just trying to get through this. Like, 
dude, this is have fun. You're you're here competing with your friends or your your rivals, whatever. Like your teammates, like it's gonna be fun. If it's not fun, then there's no point. Dude, that's like if I yeah, everybody go back and listen to that like five times, especially like newer lifters, because like that's like literally dropping so many keys on like one another like the only like the only thing I'll I'll make comment on is like another thing is like take what you have like do not yeah. overextend yourself because like I I I don't I've been there and every single I'm very accurate with my RPE on singles and, and like if I really want to be I'm really honest with, with myself and every single meet where I've been like oh crap I shouldn't have loaded that that up because I knew what I had but I got yeah. greedy like for example on this last meet that I did um deadlift just didn't peak well um I cut uh I I'm the type person where I have a really high calorie need I run through sodium and water super fast I was on top of that and uh, I realized too late oh crap like I don't have enough salt I mean that's why bench didn't show up the way I wanted it to or deadlift it didn't but because bench press I don't really have an ego with it's not my best lift I was like oh well, that's how you go and take what's what's there got it I was like I could have probably could have gotten like two and a half the five the two and a half more kilos but whatever you know, it, it's bench but then on deadlift I was like well my PR is 700 I want 705 even though my heart of heart was like 694 is, is there. And, and I was like, dang it. Like that was stupid. And like Matt Gary has a great saying where it's like, it just points. That's what meat day is. And my meat day is so different from, from, from training too. I think being able to yeah. separate yourself from the numbers that you've hit in training versus meat yes. day will also be very helpful with, with keeping things objective Absolutely. because it's not the same thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I tell my clients when we're sending our game plan, we're sending the game plan based upon what makes sense for the day. Not necessarily just, yes, we, we pick the ranges based upon what we've done in training, but on the day we're trying to build the total. Right. And that's why I tell my clients to look at your meat PRs first, because it's so easy to get caught up in this mindset of like, okay, I want this number because I hit in training. And that's like a 20 kilo uh, meat PR is like, okay, yeah. But if you hit this other number, it's still a 10 kilo meat PR and you know, you've got it. And that's what I tell people too. I'm like, you know, I, I like to do things like, hey, you have three A, three B, three C. Three B is like the plan third attempt that you think you're going to have. Three A is if you're feeling God mode that day, and three C is the contingency. I always tell people, if you are not a hundred percent sure that three A is there, you take three B. Meaning, I don't care if you're ninety nine point nine percent sure that point zero one percent is not worth it if you know you can take three B. Because if you're ninety nine point nine percent sure about three A, there's almost no way you miss three B, right? Um, so yeah. like you said, separating yourself from that and just taking what's there is 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 so vitally important and building the total. Um, and it's funny because some people are like, oh, but I don't want to leave kilos on the platform. Dude, you leave kilos on the platform when you miss. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like yes, that's way more. That you're gonna miss, you're gonna leave way more. And I'm like, I and I tell people, I'm like, is it worth is it worth two and a half kilos? Like, is is, is, is it worth two and a half, five kilos when you could have for sure had like, you know, 15 kilos over whatever your second was, right? Um, and we're all guilty of it. I've, I've made the same mistake before too. Um, and sometimes things just happen. There've been days where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the three C and I should be good. And I still didn't get it. So maybe I should have gone lower than that. Right. So sometimes you, you think you really are making the most objective call possible. Um, but like I said, I think more often than not, like you said, we kind of know in the back of our head, eh, I probably shouldn't be loading this, but it's like, Oh, it's me. Day. I can do it. I can, yeah. you know, I can have that movie miracle moment, but it's like, eh, it's not a movie. Life's not a movie, man. Sometimes those movie moments happen, but no, nah, not more often yeah. than not. Especially peaking is like such such a, a delicate skill too, because like it's easy to have like two per two percent like difference in like strength than what you might be like maximally if you're fully peaked. 
for like one lift, especially like with something like bench press, where it's just like the peak is like that small of like a window, it's just not there. I'd tell them it's like it's way, it's way, way, way bigger. Um, that's why, like a lot of times, like this is my last piece of advice is don't plan RPE 10 third 9.5 because the reality is that 9.5 is usually probably going to be there. And say if you have like some sort of technical, like te te technical error, or you are, um, you're something that you're 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 not perfectly peaked or whatever. Uh, that's going to be helpful. Um, now it's different if you're at a high level meet where you're going yeah. for like you know like everything changes. And if you're at a high level meet, you're going for money. It's nationals, whatever, with strategy, yeah. attempt selection versus like a local meet. But in general, it's still not that much different. And most of the time, it just happens on like what's your strong suit. Like if you're a really good squatter, you're going to probably push it a little bit more on squat and your third attempts than your deadlift. Um, yeah. Or if you're a really good venture, it's like you're going to play to your, your strengths and their strategy with chips and all that stuff um, yeah. that kind of make those high level meets uh, probably not only more stressful, but also more fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My, my coach Brad always says, what do you have momentum on right now? That's what you push, right? If you've had momentum on bench during the prep, push that more. Even if your squat's typically your best lift, if it's just not showing up the way you want or wants to the way you want, it's there and then push what you have momentum with. And like, so the high level meets is a lot of it's the same mentality. It's just what changes, like you said, the chips, are we going for placings? If we're going for placing, then it, it oftentimes it's, it's not about pushing as hard as possible. It's about taking what you know you for sure have. Now, if you're going for a specific type of dots or something like that, or a record, then yeah, you're going to have to push. So a lot of it's just knowing what your goals for that meet are in general. Totally agree. Now I wanted to just uh, go a little bit into um, a general broad overview uh, some of the differences in training approaches between some of your higher level athletes, but I think it's very interesting seeing, um, you know, these guys who have very similar strength levels, you know, they're all top five and in, in, in their, in their respective weight classes, sort of like the differences um, between them, maybe just briefly how things have changed over time. So um, first off, I wanted to ask a little bit about, about Ashton, because I think Ashton's probably been um, the most from the outside in the most problematic lifter to, to program for because of how many things he has going on and, and whatnot. So, um, and Ashton also has weird jumps and like <laughs> Ashton is just different, built different in every, in every way. Um, so when you're starting training for him, um, uh, what are some things that have made Ashton's training approach unique from other people that you've seen? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I'd say is, is uh, of course, like I said, we have to account for his lifestyle factors, right? Ashton is in the military. He's constantly having to do like physical tests for the military, different jobs and stuff like that, depending on what the week looks like. He's also getting his uh, his PhD as well. Um, so with that, it's it's one of these things where we have to account for his life stresses and life variables. Of course, he has to control what variables he can control. But on the programming end, it's making sure that we're doing enough to build momentum but not doing so much to where if something drastic happens with his life, because it undoubtedly will, we suddenly are under recovering and then we're regressing, right? Um, so programming wise, uh, going into the Virginia Pro in December, we were actually were trying to play with him doing low bar volume backdowns because uh, that's something that he's never really ever done. So he's tried historically and never worked out well for him. Now, our assumption was is because maybe he's trying to do too much or go too heavy. So what we were doing was very simple stuff, like just three by twos, three by threes with like a huge percent drop from his top set. And for whatever reason, like, and I truly believe it's just due to just the amount of weight Ashton does with his low bar singles, even the lower exertion, just the objective load that trying to do any type of volume after that just, just does not feel good for him. It wrecks him so much for that. Even when going to a secondary squat day, that's usually high bars, he couldn't push those anywhere near as much as what he usually does. So 
with Ashton Swat, we've just found that, okay, just one low bar top set was a triple double single, whatever it may be on a secondary day, like a high rep, uh, high bar top set. So usually anywhere between like, you know, three to six reps and then some very light assigned load back downs for his two by seven. That's all he needs on his squat. Um, so in actuality, Ashton squat, really, if we take the one low bar set and then like the three total high bar sets, he's only doing four total sets of squat a week. And then the rest we push through his leg accessories, like pushing, um, pushing leg press. And that's, that's really like what works well for him. Um, and then with his deadlift, it's kind of similar with his deadlift, but we found it for sumo specifically, if we want to keep the sumo like in groove is he's just best having a heavy single on the primary day, not even like a triple or double instead of just having a single on the primary day, having some back downs just to practice. And then his secondary day is the same thing. It's usually just like, uh, like four by ones or even like a three by two would just light assign load just to practice the movement. And then once again, we push his accessories from there. His bench is the only thing that's a little bit different. So it's, it's funny. Cause he's kind of the opposite. Like with most people you would, you know, with, with squat and deadlift, we know that, Hey, um, you know, you, you need a certain amount of intensity, a certain amount of volume. Sure. But for most people, when they bench press, it's like, Hey, we need a, we need a bench, have some heavy stimulus, but bench is all about what volume, 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 right. Volume and lots of frequency. Ashton's very, very much the opposite. Ashton benches three times a week, um, which that's not so uncommon, but his volume, what we actually found for him is pulling his volume back and just pushing the intensity has been huge. So on his primary day, he might have like a top single double or triple. And then he has um, pretty heavy back down triples. So instead of like, you know, with a lot of his other stuff, like with the squat and deadlift, if we're doing a percentage drop from his top set, it's gonna be like a, a 20% drop or like, you know, only 60 to 70% was always one max. With this bench, we're doing like 5% drops from his top set, but it's not high volume. It'll just be like, you know, four by three. And he gets a really good response from that, especially with his, uh, with his max grip bench. Then his secondary day will be a long pause variation max grip single, like, like two count, three count, something like that. But then we get, we do close grip for him. Um, so instead of doing like high volume wide grip back downs, we'll do like maybe just like a three by five um, on that day, but with a closer grip. So we're making up for the lack of reps with the range of motion. And that keeps his pecs really healthy. And then his third day is only close grip. And that'll just be like, you know, three by sixes. So before we were doing stuff like, you know, oh, sevens to eights on that third day. And we we're doing like, oh, back down sevens on that secondary day. We we're just doing kind of more standard bench programming, right? But Ashton is somebody where he just responds really well to high intensity benching. And if he has any type of volume work, it's going to be mostly close grip. And then it's only going to be like sets of five, no more than sixes. Um, so there's just specific things that Ashton responds to uh, intensity wise and volume wise. And then the big thing with him too, is just like, that's really been huge for him is knowing when to push. Like even when he first came to me, it'd be this thing where he would be super true as RPEs. Right. But the, the way he was hitting for his RP sevens, it's just so much objective load that he comes in week four. And even though he can move the way we need for the RP eight, it's just not moving as smooth as what we want. So when I really got him to step back and be like, Hey man, we're going to have these ranges for weeks one, two, and three. And if I don't care if, if you hit the high end range of week three, I don't care if you had a seven assignment, it felt like a five or six instead, leave it there. Cause that's all we need. It's heavy enough to set us up for that following week. And that's kind of my mindset with all my clients across the board, but same, with Ashton, it, it just matters so much more because the objective load, man, it just, it just like, and granted, we understand like, Oh, well, 70% for one person is still 70% for somebody else. Yeah. The percentages are the same, but 
it's just different, man. I think we can even look at when we were beginners, right? There was a time where like, oh, do a three by 10 with like whatever. We could do that. Then come in the next week and do a three by 10 with five, 10 pounds more. As you get stronger, you just can't do that yeah. with certain loads, right? It just gets harder. So how much more true is that for someone like Ashton who's squatting in the 800s, right? Um, or pulling in the upper eight, almost 900s, right? So it's, it's one of those things where uh, managing the ranges is huge. And really timing when we push too. That's another thing we did differently was we, his highest exertion loads for the prep this time instead of singles were doubles. And then the block of singles we just built into the meet and didn't hit those higher singles until actual meet day, excluding his deadlift because we had singles year round for the deadlift. And that's been huge um, because what we found is we have him push high exertion singles for his heaviest work of the prep. When he comes into the meet, he's still kind of having to recover from that. Whereas if we have him push high exertion doubles, it sets us up to predict where the singles will be but the lows just aren't as heavy as they would be for singles. So he recovers better going into the meet. So that's been a big thing with Ashton. Man, I, I think that's like a, a couple of things. Number one, I have definitely noticed that with what you said with like, there's just the stronger lifters. Like when you start getting into, especially like in terms of like relative strength and absolute loads, it's like once you're really strong, you're, you're, in that, you're in that freak status of strength. You just can't operate as high intensities. Um, and I have found that typically for like big, bigger people, especially Ashton's Jack too, um, that holds like more fatigue too. And so for Ashton, it's like, he needs one set for like, for a stimulus to really push things and then everything else is just like, okay, a little bit of volume, just get some more skill practice. And because it's still heavy, like you can still make lots of progress. This kind of goes back to the whole data-driven strength thing about, hey, about, hey, like RPEs, like actually like sub five are still productive. Um, it depends on the average Absolutely. load, the average intensity. I think that's the main thing is that I think that it depends so much on like the lifters, like what they just can respond to. Like Ashton's probably is his average intensity. My hypothesis is that with these stronger lifters, unless you're John App, is John Apps just a freak? Like it's lower on the average and the average intensity you're pushing Absolutely. because Absolutely. you just can't push as hard. Whereas with with like somebody who's lighter like me, you know, I'm 190 pounds. It's like I need to push things harder. Like I have to yeah. load up my squat on both days. Um, I have to yeah. I have to push my bench press on like all four of my days. I have to yeah. push my deadlift on both days. Um, yeah. these, the bigger guys just they just don't have to. And not only is do they not have to, it's detrimental. Yeah. And so much of it comes down to different variables. Sometimes it can be like you said, the strength, like wh where someone's objective low top end is at. Other times it might even just be your leverages. Maybe you are a lighter guy, but you're very lanky. Maybe you have a super long range of motion on your squat and you find, man, if I push both my squat days really hard, I feel beat. Whereas if I just push one day hard and let the second day be more about volume, like that's kind of how I am, right? Like, like I said, I'm right now like 167 pounds. But one thing Brad and I have found is when I let the intensity get too high up on that secondary day, even if I'm feeling good, it'll just tank me for weeks after that because it's like two almost intensity-based days. So now we just keep that secondary day like straight sets of six, pretty sub max and let that primary day just ramp up big. Um, the other thing is just intensity responsiveness. Some people need intensity at certain exposures more than others. It's like I push in three week blocks because we, what we found is if I don't push hard every three weeks, like let's say I push, you know, let's say I go four or five weeks without the intensity, the exposure just feels weird. Like things feel really heavy on my back all of a sudden. So there's just different variables to look at with it. Um, and the more you work with someone, the longer you work with them, the easier it becomes to find out what how that stuff works. But in general, that those are things you can look at, right? The 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 better, or rather the worse built you are for a lift, probably the less frequently you can push it as hard as what you want. The higher your top end of strength is, probably the less frequently you need to push that high end. 
And then, you know, your intense responsiveness, which that can, that's just genetic at the end of the day. Also, the worry I found like you'll tend to like fatigue because like, for example, I have terrible squat, squat leverages. I built like, I built like, like, like a flag, a flagpole. I need to really have a massive percentage of trough on my primary day for my top. And as I get so beat from that top single or top double or top triple, I'm just like, I'm going to die. Um, the last thing that I thought that you said that was really valuable was like staying in the pocket, quote unquote, and like not overextending yourself on your ranges or like going on like your RPs and like really just saying, hey, like whatever your, your peak week is, like, hey, let's just build, build, build. And then that fourth week is like the realization or that testing week, quote unquote, of okay, how strong are we from from this from this block? I think that's so key because if it's it's kind of easy to like get egotistical about oh, like kind of like things feel good and you know, you want to push things a little bit more, but then that can really um, nuke what you could actually do on that, on that fourth week. Um, yeah. And, and whatnot. So it's a little bit, a little bit of, a, of a mental game. I think, Hey, if they have a ton of momentum right, right now, if these light, if these weights are, are heavy and moving better than expected. Holy crap. Well, week four is going to be really cool or whatever your, your peak week is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of these things where I tell people all the time. It's like, if you hit a bunch of PRs in training, right but then you don't PR at the meet, you wouldn't be happy about that. So I tell people, if you know you're supposed to push on your week four, your week three, week five, whatever, it's like, who cares what you hit on your week two if you shot yourself in the foot, which you hit, hit on week three, right? Because that's why I tell people, I'm like, let's let's say you overshoot your week three and you still hit something nice week four. How much more could you hit on that week four if you hadn't overshot your week three, right? So it's having that big picture perspective and knowing what you're building towards and why. Now on the opposite end of that, you don't want to get to this point where people like, only care about the week four primary and their past with everything else you still want that intentionality but just remember how it all works together to set yourself up for the day that you want totally um so now going into um bob uh mr bob uh he's the, he i uh, think that his progress has been like the most impressive like of just like how dramatic it's been since he started working with, with, with you um so what does bob's training look like so Bob's training actually looks very similar to what a lot of my clients' training looks like in general. His isn't as drastically different as Ashton's, um, meaning like, you know, for, so his, he trains um, four days a week. His primary day is an SBD day, which is how a lot of my clients are. You know, he'll have his top sets and then he'll have his back downs. That's based upon an assigned load um, of the percent of the lower max. And then he has a secondary uh, squat and bench day where it's like, you know, usually a higher rep top set and then some percentage-based backdowns. One thing that's different about Bob is where a lot of my clients' percentages, backdowns might be 12 to 15%. Bob's going to be 17 to 20% uh, just due to his objective loads. Already. And he's also very good at reps, so the weights he can do for reps, um, we have to account for that. And then his uh, day three will be his secondary deadlift day, which is typically, um, oh, that's one thing I forgot. So yeah, so it's SBD day, right? Uh, it's typical on Saturday. It's just comp variations. His secondary uh, day on squats is high bar. Uh, what we've simply found with him is if we try low bar variation, he doesn't really get that much more in stimulus, but he does get beat up and fatigued a lot quicker. Uh, so kind of similar to Ashton in that way, where, for example, pod squats just beat him up very, very quickly as far as his lower body. And then even secondary comp squats, it it's he can do it, but his squat progresses just as fast if we just let the secondary day stay high bar, but he doesn't feel as beat up on his primary day. So we stick with high bar for that. Uh, his day two bench is usually just a secondary comp bench day as well. Uh, then day three for him is secondary deadlifts. It's pause deadlifts. We've played with doing like conventional and seeing what he gets out of that. But Bob Sumo just thrives well with frequency and sumo. So we do pause sumo work. Um, and then we do still push RDLs because we found that he's getting a lot out of those just in terms of uh, glutes, hamstrings, and growth, stuff like that. 
Um, and then on that day, he'll typically have like some type of like uh, Larson press buildup set to a specific RPE cap. And then his day four is usually just um, like close grip bench work and some accessories. Now, one thing about Bob is all of my clients programming is accessory heavy, but Bob is somebody where we have more, I guess what you could say secondary main movements that a lot of my other clients do. And um, when I say secondary main movements, I mean accessory lifts that could be main movements in and of themselves, weighted dips, uh, incline bench, things of that nature, right? I might typically have like one to two of those a week for a client, but with Bob, what we just simply found for him is even though he's a genetic freak and he's, you know, he puts on muscle really easily, leverage wise, right? Relative to someone like Ashton, we can say he's maybe not as well leveraged for some of the lists as someone like Ashton, right? As far as his range of motion and stuff like that, even though like he has like, you know, he's got a really big arch and stuff like that. He has very long arms on the bench. Uh, he has a long range of motion on the squats. So the thing with Bob, I think is his adaptability to workload, meaning you put him through a stimulus, right? And it's very, very difficult the first go around, but then the next time around, it's like nothing. It's like he's blasting to new territory all the time. Um, and the big thing with Bob is he is somebody where you take someone, you give him a decent coach, a good programming and has great genetics, but he is a absolute machine with his variables. Like everything's perfect. His sleep is always perfect. His macros are always perfect, like to the T. Um, and I think that's a big reason why we've had the progress that we're doing because he's able to fully maximize and recover everything I give him programming wise. Mind you, we still can't, you know, I don't push near max recoverable volume for any of my lifters, really. I just think that's far too risky. I like kind of that middle ground between Same. minimum effective volume and max recoverable volume. But he's able to fully recover from everything that he does perfectly because his sleep and eating is completely dialed in. His stress levels, he keeps it chill. Like anything that causes Bob, like unnecessary stress, he cuts it out immediately just because he's able to have a lifestyle where he does that because he's he's a personal trainer. He works for himself, so he's able to do that. Um, but yeah, as a whole, Bob's programming doesn't look crazy drastically different than what you'll see me do with other clients. Uh, the biggest difference is probably the way his backdowns are set up. They're probably more submax relative to other clients. Like I said, if 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 all factors being equal, if a client would have a 12% drop for backdowns, Bob probably has like a 17% drop. If another client has 15% drop, his is probably a 20% drop um and like and then once again managing the expectations like he has his range on his primary days as all my clients do he has to try to be under the rp cap on the secondary days as i have most of my clients do but then i let him really push that week four hard to be true now as a result of that one thing that is different is with other clients um maybe let's say they're doing like a 15 percent drop on their secondary days for weeks one two and three um then maybe week four i'll increase it to 18 percent because i know they're going to push that week four a little bit harder i can't even do that with bob even when i've increased the percentage by five percent from like week three to four, he he hits so much more weight on that week four from where his fitness is to where what I just now have in the sheet is like just five kg more than what you did last week's back downs, no matter what the top set is. And that just keeps the the rate of progression more controlled. Um, because he he it's it's unpredictable with him sometimes. Sometimes he might, you know, be feeling kind of beat from the primary. So it's like, oh, I'm just doing 20, 30 pounds over last week's weight. Other times it's like I'm doing 80 pounds over what I did last squeak so um that's just what that's just what i found works better for him um but yeah overall boss program actually doesn't look crazy drastically different than what i do with others it's just he responds really really well to it and he pushes the absolute hell out of his accessories like i don't ever he's the i don't ever have to question if hey are you actually hitting rp eights and nines when i give rp eights and nines with accessories he pushes it to the brink and i think that's one thing that's really helped him a lot too yeah, I think especially with those athletes, you know, you said something about, you know, not relying to push the force back some recovery volume. Like I have definitely found that like for most of my clients, like 
and bench can be a little bit different because like obviously it changes with like how close you're going to failure but i like keeping most of my clients within like 10 to 16 sets a week i find that's like a really good spot to go but or something like like bob it's just like you know he has that probably has, has that psychology like he comes from like a bodybuilding background more of an athletic background um and that's similar to like me and it's like i want to go hard on, on on everything i'm not okay with just like you know on my accessories like i'm not doing rp6 on a bicep curl like screw that or, or belt squat I, i'm pushing until my leg until my legs are shaking um and that can actually i would argue that actually is a probably a big reason why bob um has had all that success is what it sounds like to me is that he puts in not only the work outside of the gym but when he's in the gym he's attacking his accessories um a lot and i would, I would argue his main lift programming might have to be a little more different if he wasn't doing that um, yes. Yes, exactly. 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 It's because you can give him the simplest stuff, but he's going to truly maximize whatever you give him. And that's, that's huge. Right. And and that's why I tell some of my clients where I'm like, like, Hey, we don't need to change it with your programming. I just need you to actually push what you're given. You know what I mean? Like, like if, if I'm, if I'm seeing you do a chest supported row and I give you an RP eight and by the last set on the last rep, it looks like a six to seven you're not maximizing what you could be doing. You know what I mean? Um, so that intentionality is very, very important. And, and, and I think that's a big thing. It's, it's very hard to match when you have someone that has that genetic potential, but also the work ethic of an underdog. It's very hard to beat that. Like if someone's working, like they're always behind and they're trying to be on top of every little thing and they're already ahead of everybody else because of genetics, it's, it's very hard to, it's very hard to beat that. It, I mean, it, it takes someone like an Ashton to battle someone like a Bob basically. Right. So yeah absolutely so i think just like one more athlete um i wanted to give you the option um which athlete do you think has like the most interesting training besides ashton to troubleshoot mm, most interesting training besides ashton probably um my client christian aka chestnificent on instagram for sure um his programming looks drastically different than what I've done with anybody else ever. Um, and, and a lot of that is just because he, he's, he's a taller lifter. He's very muscular, but his leverages are crazy. Like his, his, his squat leverages, how long his legs are. Um, he's somebody where he, 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 <laughs> he also trains four days a week, but his frequency on everything is like low. So he, he literally squats just once a week. That's it. Uh, a top set. That's literally a top set of squats, no back downs wow. at all. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a top set of three, two, one, or 10%. He just has that one top set of squats. That's wow. it. Um, and all of his lower body volume pretty much comes in from leg press, RDLs, leg extensions, and leg curls because any additional volume and it just wrecks him, which if you see how he's built, it makes perfect sense. Um, even with his wider stance squat that he uses just to try to compensate for that range of motion, he still hits great depth. All that's good, but it just beats him up too much. Like his knees, his adductors, any type of squat volume just beats him up no matter how submax it is. Um, so he only has really one set of squat. And like I said, he leg presses one or two times a week. Um, right now we've been playing with leg press just once a week because doing it even, even that twice a week kind of beats his legs up a lot. So he squats one day, he leg presses on the other. He does leg extension, leg curls on both days, hip abduction, adduction on both days. Um, his bench, because he has a super, super like yeah. close grip, long range of motion bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he, uh, same thing with that. He only flat benches once a week. And this past training cycle, we were doing pretty moderate volume and it was working well until the end of the training cycle. His fitness was high, but he's going really beat up. So now we're doing even lower volume. I'm talking like after he does his top single, it's just like, um, 
it's just like like three by two or three by three after that super super sub max and then a secondary bench is actually incline bench because benching twice a week just beats him up but incline bench oh. feels very very healthy for him but due to how close his uh, uh flat benches he actually gets very good carryover from the incline bench because the movements aren't as drastically different for him as what it would be for like you know a sean noriega where his flat bench and incline bench would be drastically different movements his are very similar um and then uh, of course he deadlifts he deadlifts once a week the same day as his squad day he does have some deadlift back downs but once again it's just like back down singles to practice the movement and then the secondary deadlift day is just pushing rdls and then we get all the rest of our volume in just through accessory work. So he's like a even more extreme version of Ashton, right? As far as like how low the frequency is and how low the volume is, but he pushes the intensity. Um, Cause he, once again, with his range of motion, how he's built, he just gets a lot out of that. And then he gets the volume needed from his accessory work. Dude, I, I, I freaking that's really wild. Um, I never heard of that. He's basically trains like a super heavyweight, but weirder, man, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, I hope that the listeners can kind of get from us. Number one, I think this shows how much Marcellus knows his athletes, how much time he gives them by how much he's able to ever say, Hey, talking about X client, he can tell you all about his, all about their, their training and, and their, their response. So may, you know, when you are choosing a coach, I do think it's good to ask them these sorts of, of these, these, these questions, see what they are g- g- giving out um, in terms of free information, how they you know what their clients are about them, their reputation, uh, there's a reason why, why Marcellus is has the reputation that, that that he does. Second off, if you guys really want to maximize your your, your progress, this is why you you need a coach because it's very difficult to identify these trends on your own. It's not like you know, especially like for example, um, Christian might have to be like, "There's no way this could be my my actual training response." Might not have the confidence with that because it's so it's so unique. Whereas if he's working with 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 you, and it's like this is what works for me, and I'm more okay with this because. Um, you know, coach has got my, my, my back and I know that if I do this, I'm going to make better progress. And there's a reason why every single elite athlete always has a, has a coach. They have trainers, they have people helping them out. So if, and my biggest piece of advice and this parting thoughts with this is that if you do want to be really good at powerlifting, really anything in life, invest in yourself, invest in a coach, invest in a mentorship. If you want to really have the most fun in training, let's be honest, making progress is fun. Um, coach relationship is incredibly, incredibly rewarding and, and fun if you have the, the right, right person uh, on your back. And um, yeah, and you, you know, if you're like, hey, training isn't going the way I, you know, it should be because I don't have a, even though I follow these typical patterns, that's even more reason that I had to have a coach um, and really understand, learn a little bit more about yourself. So I wanted to thank Marcellus so much for his, his time. Uh, Marcellus is extremely busy. Um, uh, so I wanted Marcellus, uh, Obviously, I'm powerlifting now, which is a really awesome re- resource. Um, but where can, can, can people go find you and uh, follow you along? Yeah, yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram, uh, at the Swolfesser, just one word. Uh, also on YouTube, the Swolfesser, one word to check out my informative content. And uh, yeah, like you said, I'm also, you know, one of the co-owners of Powerlifting Now. If you want to check out that subscription service, it's the Powerlifters Library. But yeah, no, man, appreciate you having me on. Um, always a good time. Always a pleasure talking back and forth. And that's the thing, no matter how busy I get, I love I love stuff like this. So I try to make time for it when I can. Well, super, super uh, appreciate it. And uh, do just like keep pressure. It's awesome seeing what you're doing and the sky's the limit for, 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 for you truly. So wish I'll be the best for you, man. Thank you, man. All right, dude. I'll talk to you guys in the next one. Later.